experience is always the game changer, isn't it? So many people who have been more in the materialist view and some of the scientists I interviewed for the book have been leading a life and a scientific career of materialism. And then something happened. That mystical metaphysical nature finally found a way to express itself through them. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. As a young adult, I developed a friendship with a pastor. He was a recovering alcoholic and did lots of counseling with others in AA. He was working on his master's degree in counseling and wanted to do more pastoral counseling. And I was a practicing psychotherapist, so we had lots in common. One day we were talking about spiritual development and healing. I mentioned something about spiritual experiences, the direct experience of unity and non-ordinary states of consciousness. And I began to share on a more personal level. He looked at me with a blank stare. Then he bristled a bit and in a rather strong reaction told me not to go there. He said, stay away from that new age stuff. It's dangerous. When I tried to expand on the conversation, he literally shut me down. He was clearly shaken, anxious, and in fear. That was literally the last meaningful conversation the two of us ever had. From then on, it was simply nice pleasantries. Years later, I tried to engage with another pastor. In a conversation about non-ordinary and mystical experiences, it was Good Friday. And what better time to talk about my near-death experience than when focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus? So I thought, this time it ended with the blank stare. There was absolutely no response, no questions, no acknowledgement, no follow-up, nothing, not even a change of subject. The blank stare was followed by him turning and walking away to his office. This was decades ago, and I thought, wow, if you can't talk about spiritual experiences with a pastor, who can you talk to? Years later, I began seeing pastors as clients. One came to me and asked if I would be his spiritual director. And that began a whole new chapter in my work. All of a sudden, I began seeing spiritual leaders who were closeted mystics. They had nowhere to go to share their non-ordinary experiences within their own faith traditions. This included pastors at the top of their national organizations. I became a spiritual guide, helping clergy to navigate their own spiritual experiences and understand consciousness. This is my why for doing this Main Street Mystic series. When I read the book, Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists, I felt a deep recognition with all the scientists and their stories. Dr. Paul Mills does a wonderful job weaving their transpersonal, metaphysical, and mystical experiences throughout the book. Isn't that peculiar? Both scientific and spiritual leaders have been closeted. So many 
of you, our listeners, have also. It is time to normalize the non-ordinary and open that closet door. We're going to open it today, if only for this next hour, and see what emerges. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, bring your awareness to your heart, relax and open your mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce my co-host. Dr. Paul Mills is Professor of Public Health and Family Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. He has over 400 scientific publications in the field of pharmacology, oncology, cardiology, psychoneuroimmunology, behavior medicine, and integrative health. He's the author of the book, Science, Being and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. And welcome back, Paul. Here we are again. Thank you, Julie. I'm very happy to be back here with you. Oh, me too. And Paul, I haven't shared that experience with you. We haven't talked about spiritual leaders in the closet, but I think it's interesting that you've had these experiences with scientists and I've had these same experiences with spiritual leaders. And I don't have a plan for today. I just, I trust that this impulse is going to move through us. And I want to talk about normalizing the non-ordinary. So I'm wondering what this intro, my little monologue there might have stirred up in you, if anything. It, <laughs> it sure did. And uh, I'll share that. While you were speaking, sharing that experiences you've had with uh, the clergy and so forth, and now how you are starting to do some counseling work for clergy, just to give them a space to speak about these experiences, I found myself wondering about the origins of this. And I know in our last conversation together, we spoke a little bit about that early split of science from religion, science from spirituality. And to me, it's clear that both domains of human activity, human existence have suffered. Science certainly has suffered. We've talked about that. And the reason for the book is to try to address that, to show that there is a deep spirituality in many scientists and it's time to move the science from the materialism, which has been a result of this four centuries plus division of science from the spiritual world, if we can say that. But also it's curious from what you're saying. It also then the religious side of things have suffered from this split. It became taboo, not only on the scientific side, but since society is mm. such a or science is such a dominant way of thinking socially and sets the norms in many ways, it seems to have spilled over into the religious side too. So that many religious people and in the religious world, the same domains are basically have been off off the shelf, namely the transpersonal, the metaphysical, the mystical. The domain where it should be so alive, where we should have been getting so much support from the clergy, religious, in our different uh, religious traditions, has been just dialed down. It, it's so curious and, and obviously extremely unfortunate because everyone suffered yeah. socially. And yeah. I, I believe that by bringing this uh, union back of, of science, which is essentially just a way of thinking and seeing the world and exploring the world and opening the doors back to the spiritual, it's also going to help fill in all the other areas of life that have suffered. I, I hope and assume also the religious side. We will see. Yeah, I like that. You know, I, I remember 
reading this one quote from the book, and I'm going to just open it again, because one of your scientists talked about the materialist worldview. And okay, so I'm just want to read this quote. Yeah, here it is. So literally, he talked about the grand and destructive bit of the materialist worldview itself. One of the scientists said, the materialist worldview is itself a grand and destructive illusion. And we often talk about the illusion of separation. I mean, we have for nine years here on the show, but the destructive part, when you talk about when that's what I was reminded of just listening to you is how sad, but also literally how hurtful the suffering that's occurred for so many people on the planet. In fact, because you're in medicine, you'll really appreciate this one, Paul. I met a physician last week and she wrote a a brilliant book. Um, I'm going to introduce you to her. You'll love her. But this physician had a major spiritual experience as a young adult and was literally locked up in a psychiatric hospital for months, put on all kinds of meds and debilitating meds for her life and her career and, and everything. And so like, again, there's more of that destructive illusion that we haven't been able to talk about these experiences. We've labeled them as, well, not even non-ordinary. We've labeled them as psychic, you know, or I mean, psychosis and spiritual experiences have really well, I'm just going to pause and not say more and let you respond to that because the destructive part, I think is a, a, a peculiar word that's important for us to really look at this. I'm appreciating that you shared that, uh, that part of the book and that you also were sharing a personal story with a physician you just met. There were several physicians in the book, uh, Science Being and Becoming, who had very similar stories, who as a young person began to have these transpersonal experiences where they found themselves in a state of unity of oneness with basically all of creation that they could perceive at that time. And it also led them into a psychiatric ward ultimately on medication and so forth. And there were some nuances there because he was rather young at the time and he didn't have the cognitive capacity to put an orientation to what he was experiencing but it's been happening for people young and old for for many, many decades. And it is, it's like this poisoning of materialism that's gone out throughout different aspects of society, all aspects of society, really. Uh, Rupert Spear is a famous uh, non-dual teacher, one I highly admire, and he speaks about this again and again, this aspect of materialism that has just led to this endless denial of the reality of consciousness being fundamental And then everything that goes along with that, our deep own mystical and metaphysical nature, and it's just been denied and denied. And I'm, of course, been sorry to see this for so long and um, looking forward to all the different avenues that have been awakening now more and more to begin to dissolve this divide. And you and I and others see more and more evidence of this occurring. I love that. So... To me, that is the nature of this show of normalizing the non-ordinary. I wonder what that 
phrase means to you, normalizing the non-ordinary. We talk about, you talk about in the book, three kinds. You, you state it as transpersonal, mystical, and metaphysical. And mm-hmm. from a psychologist's point of view, I talk about states of consciousness and stages of consciousness a lot. I'm wondering what normalizing the non-ordinary means to you. Well, for me, it means just an acceptance of the fundamental, our own fundamental nature, let's say uh, uh, the consciousness aspect, the transcendent aspect, the, the mystical side. When I use the word mystical, I'm typically meaning, yes, it's, it's also metaphysical, but mystical to me gets into the realm of awe. It gets into the realm of us encountering consciousnesses beyond the physical dimension that we normally encounter, meaning non-human beings, for example. And those of us who have had insights and experiences beyond this so-called third dimension know that it's populated with just endless natures of beings and many so beautiful, the so-called higher realms as often as described in religions, the angelic kingdom and beyond, or the elemental David kingdom here on, on our planet. It's just a beautiful reality of our existence that we've just been asleep to. Mm. And to me, normalizing the non-ordinary means that, that what you and I are speaking about today and will continue to speak about on the show with guests, there'll be a day where it's normal. <laughs> it's taken as, oh, yes, of course, this is who we are and what we are. And, and once that happens more and more, then there'll be more of a capacity and I think a willingness for people to begin to turn and uh, in and begin to activate that journey within themselves if it isn't already. You know, as you were talking about that, Paul, I was thinking about the spiritual and religious um, sector as well, thinking about mystical experiences and how it was only okay for a chosen few to have mystical experiences. And when you said the angelic realm, I was thinking about it's okay for us to acknowledge angels in the, you know, from the spiritual religious traditions, like, of course, there's angels, God in heaven sends angels. And yet, if you're talking about other entities and other dimensions that are outside of that religious and spiritual, it's like a boundary that people can't cross or won't cross or are afraid to cross. There's like, you're a, you're a heretic. If you like the pastor that said, don't get into that new age stuff, it's dangerous. You know, like, what, what do you, you know, like, like, why have we put in boundaries around these experiences and some are okay and many are not. But look at the fascination of our culture right now. There's a fascination with media and books like on near-death experiences. And we want those kinds of shows on television. Like people are secretly craving a platform to open up and share their experiences. Yeah, agreed. And such shows give us a kind of permission to begin to look into it. And hopefully this this kind of denial that on the one hand, as you were saying a moment ago, religions acknowledge the deities, the godheads, the angelic kingdom, for example. But we're, we've been kind of forbidden and not encouraged to to speak about any of our encounters with such beings. And that's a very odd thing, isn't it? Yeah. On the one hand, many of the religions say, yeah, that that's the way it is. It all exists. But Basically, it's out of reach for you as a human. It's you're, That's more the non-ordinary, so to speak, which we want to turn into the ordinary. I think about uh, Matthew Fox's work in creation spirituality, so beautiful, where he 
wrote so much about this idea of an evolution of we as human beings on the planet and our capacity to transform the earth into a kind of a heavenly paradise and to open the gates more to our own uh, metaphysical and mystical nature and that of the earth herself. And um, he was excommunicated for that work. And that, again, that's so odd to me, but just symptomatic of this, the deep materialism and the forbidden nature. Uh, there's a book that I cite within my book. The title is Esotericism and the Academy. And the author has done a deep dive on the history of this kind of purging of all things that we would call non-normal now, which used to be normal, but over the centuries became non-normal. He also speaks a bit about the implications of all of that, but it was, it's, it's essentially was rejected knowledge. And we have suffered because the rejected knowledge is our very own nature, isn't it? Mm, yeah. yeah. I'm listening to you talk and you used a couple really strong words, forbidden and excommunicated. That was the energy that those pastors gave me. Like, oh, it's really, 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 really bad. You know, like they just looked at like the first one was like, don't go there. And yet, you know, so Matthew Fox's work is a beautiful example. And Andrew Harvey, who's a mystic, who studied all the mystics, he also has a very strong opinion about the new age magical kind of thinking implication of like, of that literally we need to move into the mystical realms, but we also need to be enacted from that place of moving ourselves into our own sacred activism, that it's time for us to step into our role as co-creative, co-evolutionary partners of this greater sacred impulse that's moving us and not, not be lowered to a, a disconnected new age experience of magical thinking. And it, it's kind of hard to explain that, but there's there's real relevance there in becoming a co-evolutionary partner on the planet. You know what I mean? Hmm, I sure do. And I appreciate that. And I very much appreciate Harvey's work. I've been an admirer of his work for many, many years. I also want to say, let's give all, all of ourselves some slack mm. uh, when we've gone through these different stages of the so-called new age stage and getting caught up in certain kinds of thinking and what's often called spiritual bypassing or purple washing, because we didn't grow up in a culture where we were deeply educated on the reality of all this experience and information, the transpersonal you know, existence and so forth. So we've been stumbling forward trying to find our way and we've been listening to teachers great teachers from both eastern and western traditions to give us knowledge and we're coming along i think i just want to acknowledge we have to give ourselves some slack because we haven't had this deep tradition of generation after generation after generation giving us the knowledge and the experience that we really deeply need on a soul level but we've all been out there looking and as you're saying many of these shows are popular these days because there's that deep hunger for this, for the existential experience of our own self. And uh, it's unfolding. I'm very thrilled to see that naturally. Yeah. There are some really beautiful examples of that. I just saw in the theaters uh, a preview of, a, of another Avatar movie about the water. I 
I didn't know they were making another one. So it's kind of fun when, when we can go into those realms and explore that way. I'm wondering what it might look like, Paul, when we think about normalizing the non-ordinary and we begin to share these experiences, it seems to me that it would be a remedy for, for what ails us on the planet right now, as we've come from this materialistic illusion of separation. Literally, we created this world from a consciousness of seeing ourselves as separate from one another, separate from the planet, separate from a God creator source. And what will it be like when we can openly begin to share these experiences? You said something really important, the knowledge of and the experience of. And there are those that have yet to have that experience or acknowledge that they're having that experience. I know many, many, many of us on the planet have had these experiences and yet there are those that haven't. And so they're trying to relate on the cognitive level of what are these guys talking about? Like, is it even real? Like they, they, like I, I imagine it as, as, not being able to see from a bird's eye view what's happening, the aperture, the lens or the aperture of their sight is rather narrowed until that experience can open it. So I'm I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the difference between the knowledge and the experience. Well, experience is always the game changer, isn't it? So many people who have been more in the materialist view and some of the scientists I interviewed for the book had been leading a life and a scientific career of materialism. And then something happened. That mystical, metaphysical nature finally found a way to express itself through them. And sometimes it's because, well, they went out and they learned how to meditate, or they started doing a deep dive in yoga practices, or some of them ha- had uh, plant medicine, for example, as another path. Or some just had a life stressor, an NDE, as you had. And basically, the world then opened. And then then they're faced with that question. Wow, do I proceed looking into this? Because my old worldview isn't being supported by these new insights. And most people, at least the ones I interviewed, of course, did decide to proceed and go forward. Sometimes people don't because it's just too hard or stressful to begin to loosen up the old belief system. Particularly if there was a much more fundamentalism around that belief system, which to me, when I use that word, means they're just holding on very tightly to a specific set of thoughts, beliefs, a history, a culture, and so forth. And it's it's hard to step out of that. It takes a lot of courage. And then it takes faith that there'll be more unfolding as one does. But those who do proceed, well, I mean, the rewards are great. The rewards ultimately are an unfoldment of the self, as many beautiful religious and metaphysical traditions speak about. And of course, then there's the the unfoldment and the transformation of the external life and relationship with others and the earth herself and just just everything wakes up Mm -hmm. beyond that materialism. And thinking about experiences, even in media. So for us, it could be just a you know a, a simple moment of serendipity or uh, like you said in meditation having these experiences or a major life event a near death experience or a major psychotic break and yet i'm thinking about i don't remember the name of this movie it was a jim carrey movie where literally the whole um oh shoot 
what is the name of the movie? But the whole was this the Truman Show? Yes. So remember when they're out at the Truman Show and and he's in this? I think he's in a boat or something on a lake. But the whole set, his whole world was inside this set. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, there's a door to this outside world. And it, it's kind of like that movie was a beautiful example of this awakening. You know, we're in this planetary awakening and more and more and more of us are having these experiences. And that movie, I just remember that moment where they're up on this, you know, he goes up somehow on this scaffolding with the door and opens the door that's the sky. And, and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we're in a movie set. And that's what this three-dimensional materialist worldview and the beliefs and the structures the the social systems that we've created inside of it are all in this contained place just like that movie and then we can open it like the door that i said let's open this this mystical closet that we've had and and see what wants to come through i love that that example of that movie the the truman show yeah well, uh, I have some memory of that scene, but not detailed enough. When he opened the door and he saw something different than what he'd been living in, do you recall how did he respond? Did he did he back off a little, not sure? Did he just plow straight ahead? I don't recall that because as we were saying a moment ago, well, it's very individualistic how we each respond when these openings or, or these calls to step forward occur for us. Yeah. And some literally slam it back shut and say, I'm not going there. Um, You know what? I'm going to have to watch that movie again. From what I remember, it was like liberation. It was like this moment of going, I knew it. I knew it. There was something going on and I've got it now. I get it. I hope I'm right. I'm going to have to watch it and we'll follow up with it on another time because I think that that movie is a great example of this process of awakening that we're talking about. And it's really hard to go back, isn't it? Even with plant medicine and, and other kinds of experiences like that, that some people are, you know, that they're induced by a biochemical experience or event in their life, but it's, it's hard to shut the door and not go back. Like it changes us. Totally. There's so much documentation of that, certainly within friends I have and now growing in the medical literature, how healing it is for people to have an insight, if even for a short while, into something beyond their normal thoughts, feelings, biological, sociologic history that has been their identity. To step out of that for a few moments is vastly healing. And of course, we always hope people responsibly then start to move forward on their on their path. You had asked uh, some moments ago, how might it look when the non-ordinary becomes more ordinary? And I had this imagination since I'm a scientist and I've presented at just endless numbers of conferences around certainly the US and the world through my career. But if I could stand up at a podium and uh, give a talk and maybe share some of the more metaphysical, mystical experiences I've had freely and openly and Uh, have people in the audience come up afterwards to ask questions, which is typical, of course, at a conference, and say, well, that that is really interesting. Um, Let's let's start thinking about this and talking about it and doing research and seeing what we might be able to find, what other people have had such experiences. What does that tell us about that particular person? 
Does it change your propensity for this type of experience on that? Is it based on genetics? Is it based on family history? Just the normal kind of experiences one would have, a scientist that is, when they're exposed to some interesting novel piece of data. That's what usually happens. The questions start, the inquiry starts, the hypotheses begin. And then we're off to the races, so to speak, uh, starting to spend time doing the, the studies, the research, the inquiry. That's the kind of unfoldment that we've been missing within the sciences. The, as I said earlier, this whole area that's been rejected as the other <laughs> that we've suffered from. But once that stops happening and we could take the vast resources of science as well, again, getting back to your initial story, the vast knowledge, at least the religious knowledge, the theological knowledge within most religions, and start activating that in a more practical level. Obviously, we, we need this to be done more and more for healing because we have so much uh, sociological suffering these days, individual suffering. From my point of view, it's basically foundationally because we've been disconnected from our own self. How can we expect to be healthy, have a meaningful life of well-being when we're operating on a kind of an empty tank? If you think about empty, meaning we're not connected to that part of our nature. I don't see how it's possible. Yeah. I think about those that I've worked with in really sharing their experiences for the first time. And there's been just a, a craving inside of them to know, number one, they're not weird or a freak, but also to just feel the belonging. Like literally they see the world differently and then the world is operating in this other way and in their relationships, in their vocation, their work, their communities, they just are craving camaraderie there, like connection there. Like I want to share my story and know that I'm not crazy and that others have had the same. So it is a beautiful thing that it's, it's increasing. It's like the awareness is increasing. And I would love to hear what kind of questions and inquiry would come from our sharing and where we would go with that. I'm thinking both with the religious and the scientific again, like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation is wouldn't it be amazing to get spiritual leaders and scientists together in a room that have all shared these kinds of experiences. It would be fascinating. Well, let's pick a few and we'll bring them on the next show or two and we'll be able to get some more insight into that. That would be wonderful. That is one of the things that we are planning to do is to get these wisdom yeah. keepers together with the scientists and and really talk about our experiences more. I'd love to figure out a way to get our listeners to share their stories with us. We're going to have to do that. I'm going to, I'll be working on that one because, wow, for us to be able to share our experiences, it, it just changes everything. Indeed. As you were speaking about your work with religious, it must be really rewarding for you. And if I may ask a question, I imagine you've had some of them come back to you again and again. And what's it been like? You were giving a bit of insight into that a moment ago, how 
it began to change them and their relationship with others and and even their work I would imagine can you yeah. can you give us an example a story of somebody you were working with and how you helped give them permission to uh, go deeper into that to speak about it to accept it and to move forward yeah I I'm thinking of um, two different pastors in this moment and the first one, I'm just going to open with it to leap to the second one, because the first one saw the mystic in me. And we were working on a project, we were doing consulting work. And he just said, I want you to be my spiritual director. And I'm like, what? Are you crazy? I'm not a spiritual director. I'm, you know, a psychotherapist and a consultant. And now he goes, no, you're a mystic. And I want you to help me get comfortable in this place in my life. So that was the very first experience that began to just open doors. And you know how the universe works, Paul. Once you say yes, the universe says, okay, here's more. And so I said yes. And all of a sudden, I began working with these spiritual leaders who are seeking me out. I'm not seeking them out. But this one is an experience that I had where he was a leader in the church that was very high up in this church organization. So had influence, had this sphere of influence over other pastors, over other spiritual leaders, and over those who were wanting to study to be pastors. So he he was in a very influential position in the church and, of course, was closeted And what evolved was really beautiful, where number one, he first could just share his experiences and never had before with anyone. And so I began to work with him in shifting his language to start talking about the unitive nature of reality, of what it means to co-create with that. I helped to hold a container with him that was so in alignment with his theology that he could begin to stretch theology. He said, you are the most amazing theologian I ever know. And all I was doing was taking the unitive nature of reality and this evolutionary impulse for us to to wake up to it, right? And put a container that was safe for him. So he began to really stretch language-wise stretch in his ability to teach from that place. I gave him language on the separate self and the sacred self. And when he had that, it was like mind blowing to him. Like, ah, we have a separate self, the ego, the understanding, the identity. And we have the sacred self that's always connected with divinity, with our divine source. And when he had the language of separate self and sacred self, he could begin to introduce that into his circles. And that just really propelled him on a new path of being more authentic. Even if he wasn't sharing his mystical experiences or talking about them in that way, he was really began encouraging others to speak from that place and to be more authentic and to talk about his sacred self and even labeling those two. So he could begin to talk in meetings with other pastors 
about ego and separation. And then who's called to stand behind this pulpit? Is it the separate self or the sacred self? What's the information we want to bring through? Is it our limited understanding of something or is it this divine impulse, this larger messaging that's coming from something outside of ourselves that the mystery, you know, do I want the mystery to speak? And almost every pastor that he would come in contact with would say, of course, the mystery has to speak. And then he could say, well, you got to get yourself out of the way then. And so it was a beautiful introduction for him into our unitive nature of reality, where he could then begin to have new language, new understanding, a lot of metaphors. I like to talk in metaphor and and really synthesize things and and bring that through so I could bring real life examples for him and and he could see it. And this person loves movies. So he would go out and he would bring back examples in movies and get so excited about them. Like, oh, did you see this movie? And I'd be like, no. And he goes, oh, you got to go see this movie. It had this and this happened and this happened. So like using metaphor and storytelling kind of helped us develop a new kind of language and a real comfort zone for him to stretch his own boundaries and to become more authentic. Thank you, Julie, for sharing that that particular story. For me, extremely inspiring. Also gives me more insight into just your deep skills as a therapist and how you work with helping people begin to become more comfortable with their spiritual nature and how to weave it. You were helping him stitch his inner life with his outer life that had been mm. kind of disconnected, hadn't it? Yeah. It's a beautiful example of the question you asked earlier. What are some examples of making the non-ordinary ordinary. And you were doing that for him and the others you've been working with because the non-ordinary was this thing within him that he didn't know what to do with. He had some insight into it here and there, some experiences, but it was uh, it was cut off from his external life, even though he was technically in a religious slash uh, spiritual career profession to help others. And I love what you said that also then what's happened is it's changed his worldview and capacity and willingness that now he's allowing others to have such a space mm. to speak about, to speak from. It's uh, what's that? That's like a domino effect, so to speak. Yeah, it definitely ripples out into our communities. You know, just having you say that stirred up something in, in me here that I think is important to presence in this moment is our, all of our experiences are so different and we may not resonate with others path, you know, uh, whether, you know, like there are those who let's just say from a shaman's path or, or plant medicine, and, and some are going to really resonate with that and they're spiritual seekers. And, and of course that's the path they want to go down. Others might be on a totally different trajectory. And I think it's really important. And, and perhaps I know our series, Paul, will address all these different and differing paths from animal guides and signs to the Akashic field, to angels, to, you know, whatever it be. We don't all resonate with the same path and we don't all 
have the same experiences in this awakening process. And I think it's really important to have grace, to have a, a sense of, of open-mindedness that we can just go, okay, I, I, I really don't resonate with that, but that person does, and this is okay, or, or angels are speaking, or I'm channeling, or whatever. There's so many different paths. Absolutely. Uh, it reminds me, uh, I was speaking a moment ago, but just what, how a scientist might approach what you were just speaking about. Well, why is it that th this type of person is, is attracted more towards this type of meditation, maybe a mantra meditation, and this type of person likes more the contemplative, and on and on. There's so many questions we could ask. On the one hand, such information could ultimately be helpful for people to let them know ahead of time, listen, what's going to work for you is probably this dimension. Go and pursue it. Because I know historically there are many people who began to be exposed to ideas around spiritual development. So they went out and they learned maybe it was TM or maybe they learned mindfulness and it didn't resonate at all. That particular technique they learned. And then they just said, well, spiritual development isn't for me or mental development isn't for me. But that, that was just a, an improper, unfortunate sampling for them because they didn't find the type of approach that, as you were just speaking about, would resonate for them and that they could more deeply dive into it and then pursue and begin to have an unfoldment of themselves. I, I want to tell you a story and it's, it's, it's parallel story to what you were just sharing about your work with uh, some of the religious people. And this is a story that Dr. Neil Thies told me. He's a pathologist up at Mount Sinai. He, I interviewed him for the book and he shared some stories of how more people are coming to him, not to learn about his scientific work as a pathologist, but for his spiritual work and his spiritual development. Mm. And uh, Neil, like many scientists, go and give grand rounds at other institutions. And historically, what happens when you go and give grand rounds, you pick a scientific topic, it's something you have deep expertise in, and then you begin to speak about it. And then typically, too, while you're at that institution, the leadership will line up a series of interviews for you because there are some people there, some other scientists who have, say, parallel work that you do, or they've been wanting to get into the kind of scientific work you do. And you would meet with them and they would ask you questions. Well, how did you uh, master this particular methodological technique? Because I've tried it in the past and I've had trouble with you know, reliability and validity and, and so forth. And that's what used to happen for Neil. But some years ago, he spoke at one of Deepak Chopra's Sages and Scientists conferences, and then he started to have more material on YouTube about his own, let's say, metaphysical experiences. And that exposure has, has filtered out into other scientific communities. And now when he goes and gives grand rounds and he goes into a faculty member's office to meet with them after his lecture, he, he, he tells a story where, well, they'll, they'll close the door and they'll say, listen, I don't really want to ask you about the pathology work, but I had this experience some years ago when I was meditating, or I think this happened and that happened. And there's that, again, that desire out there for people to have permission, not only permission, but guidance. We need somebody to speak with about these techniques, these experiences, and how do we move it all forward? And, and that has been more and more a reality for Neil, even with the students he works with now or more so asking him about his his knowledge of the metaphysical 
and advice how to pursue it in unfoldment. And that's been really rewarding for him. I'm not saying it's more rewarding than the scientific work. Maybe it is these days, but it's highly rewarding for him. And he's transforming scientists while he's at it. Mm. I love that story. And it just reminds me that we need both, right? We need the heart and the head. We need the knowledge and the direct experience. We need science and spirituality. Like, And whether you're on a scientific trajectory of understanding this or more of a spiritual of, of experiencing it or vice versa, like the scientists could be an experience and the spiritual could be an understanding, but we need both. We need both the understanding of this, of, of how this impulse of evolution is moving us to wake to our unitive nature. We need that. And it's coming through in myriad forms for all of us. Some of us, it's coming through as young children. Some of us, it's, you know, in the heart of my 40-year career before I get that gold watch and retire, all of a sudden I have this awakening and I don't want to do my work anymore. Like it's happening in so many different ways for all of us. Yeah. Mm. What about medicine? You know, there's also this idea that, so this impulse of evolution, this awakening that's happening on the planet and consciousness, we know it's transforming who we be. And so along with medicine and healthcare, it's, it's transforming how we do business. It's transforming how we educate our children, how we raise our children, how we live in community, like waking to how we treat our planet, how we feed ourselves, how we grow our food. Like this is affecting every aspect of our lives. And I'm just wondering with your work in healthcare and with medical doctors and really the transformation of medicine, where we're at, what's, where's the temperature at now? And and where are we at? I know energy healing and, and what have you is still not allowed in the TED Talks, but boy, it's happening in ERs around the world as well. So yeah, where are we at? Give us a give us an update, Paul. Sure, happy to. Yeah, within the world of medicine, I'm more familiar with what's going on in academic medical centers and settings. And basically over the last couple of decades, there's been, yes, a gradual increasing acceptance of this. In the beginning, it was called complementary and alternative medicine. That was the beginning of the exposures in different medical settings. And over time, that morphed into what was called integrative medicine. And many academic centers now have what are called centers for integrative medicine. And and actually, it's continued to evolve conceptually that a lot of centers have changed their names. Even the center and the institute at the National Institutes of Health changed their name now to reflect the new word, which is integrative health just to get away with from the concepts of medicine only, but the concept of health and using different techniques, uh, energy medicine, you just mentioned one, meditation, um, osteopathy, cranial manipulation, and lots of other techniques are routinely now prescribed in a lot of centers. There are over 80 academic medical centers around the U.S. and up into Canada, major centers that have centers for integrative health now. And people could go in and who have whatever 
complaints they might have of a typical illness. And there's opportunities at these centers then to also learn other things and to have other modalities of treatment. And that's, that's been um, gradual. And it's been making, I think, important inroads at the University of California, for example. The center started out only in family medicine department. And there was resistance from other departments over time. Over the years, it's gone from just being in the outpatient settings of family medicine to now other departments have requested referrals. And it's also now in the inpatient setting. And so it's spread quite a bit. I will add that what's missing these days still is more what we've been speaking about today. And that gets into the the metaphysical side of things, the mystical side, really the, the fundamental spiritual nature of the person. That's not addressed. It's still more just these fragmented ideas of, well, we'll prescribe you some meditation for this pain or acupuncture for that and so forth. But mm-hmm. the, the integration of it all in the, in the context of this is essentially a spiritual being that I'm speaking with if I were the physician. We haven't gotten there yet, at least not broadly across these systems. It's still, I guess it's just still being rejected or it's just not had the opportunity for it to be recognized and then accepted. More of that will come, I suspect, as uh, other, let's say, dimensions of science begin to recognize it more and also just the foundational value of it for healing, for well-being. And that's some of the work we were endeavoring to do at, at my center at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, and, and I think we've done some good work in that area, pushing that conversation forward. Yeah, creating a bigger container, right? Like if we just keep yep. that container and the boundaries expanding, we can do more and more with our consciousness here. Yeah, it's it's the trains going forward, no doubt. And we're seeing evidence of that here and there. And also the the really the initial impulse for complementary alternative medicine to come into the medical system was from people themselves as they began to know the value of these different modalities and the experience of them for their health and well-being. So I think as more and more people begin to open up to their spiritual nature, that whole inner life that we've been discussing so far today, then they'll bring that as a need forward in whatever setting is needed, including the medical setting, Mm. and let it be more and more of a benefit there and eventually, hopefully, transform that way of care that we have. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I'm looking forward to bringing our scientists on and pairing them with different wisdom keepers. That the conversations will be lively. I, I know, inspiring, but also informative. Like helping us understand the myriad ways of direct experience and really listening. I think it will help us transform healthcare and medicine. I, you know, I'm thinking about literally those that have been shunned for their religious beliefs in the medical model, you know, like when they don't believe in a certain kind of treatment and then, you know, they're shunned. And yet we know that medical miracles have happened and it's, it's more than just the bio field. It's really this whole topic that we're talking about. So I'm looking forward to it. We're, we're going to have some amazing conversations coming up. We are. And I'm looking forward to, as we begin to to discover from those conversations, what the next steps are for each one of us, that the knowledge, the wisdom, the insight that comes out of those conversations, 
I want the end result to be not only inspiring and interesting, but transformational and provide guidance for people for their own next steps. Mm. Me as well. I am looking forward to that and really to make it these conversations, um, like you said, pushing the envelope, like we want to do that. We want to push the envelope, but to give real life useful steps that call to action. And so with that, I'm going to just ask you to, to take a breath to be in this moment. We've had this conversation about normalizing the non-ordinary. And we're going to ask our guests about that interview. Um, what is the interview like and, and what comes from, from that place? But I'm wondering in this moment, Paul, if you have any call to action for our listeners today. Hmm. Well, my main call to action is this. And I started having an answer in my mind while you were formulating the question that I want to, with everyone I encounter during the course of my day, and now I'm, I'm at the beach camping for about 10 days, in my conversations with people to just make sure that that opening exists mm. for a person to bring forth something about their, really their inner life that normally they wouldn't have permission to even speak about, to somehow create the container, the space that that would just naturally just pop up and that it could be spoken about and recognized. I think that I really want each of us as people here on earth to begin to give ourselves permission to listen to that inner voice and to follow it and let it unfold and take us to that place of our own greater self. How did you put it when you were speaking to the religious person, the spiritual self versus the the, yeah, the separate self and sacred self. Sacred self, yes. Let's give each other our own permission to unfold that sacred self within. And then, as we're doing that, also have permission to speak from there where, where and when appropriate. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to add my call to action. As I was listening to you, I think that that is a real noble call to action that I want to enable to in my life and enact. And when I was listening to you, I, I saw the need to vibrate that openness, like for us to really embody an openness, kind of like when I said, yes, I would be that pastor's spiritual director. As soon as I said, yes, others started reaching out and by the way, I did hook up other pastors when they wanted to so that they could talk about their religious and spiritual experiences together. That openness, saying yes to the universe, created a frequency that somehow began to attract that to me. And I think being on the beach, being open, creating that safe container is more than just in that one-on-one -on -one closed session, but I can create a safe container everywhere I go, right? And I can do it energetically. So I feel like there's a call to action for us to begin to practice that in new ways. And not only just using our words, which we can to invite these conversations, but also to create that energetically. There's something about those people you know you're attracted to that person. There's an energetic something. There's a, 
a warm invitation. There's an openness there. There are those people that are easy to talk to and even strangers. So I'll try to put that into words in the coming weeks here in our series. But I feel like there's that call to action to vibrate at that frequency that invites those conversations. How's that for a call to action? Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And also it brings to my mind, let's find a guest, one of our mystic categories, or maybe it will be a scientist who can give us insight into this phenomenon, because I find that very interesting. You're speaking about the the energetic signature, the vibrations, various words we could use. But when the space begins to shift, that enables these things to happen more than they were happening and how that can spread out. Honestly, I don't know how that works. I've experienced it personally, but I don't know what what dimension it's really occurring on and what it looks like. And I'd like to understand it better. That is a great question from a scientist. I love that. See, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the scientist part of you goes, "Woo!" Now, how is that? What is that? Let's, yeah, I love that. We'll label it. Well, let's let's invite that in, and see how it emerges in the coming weeks. Yeah, and part of the, I'm sorry, and part of the benefit is when we value science is when we understand something a little bit more, then we can encourage its existence and manifestation more too. And that's one of the, uh, like a practical benefit of that. It's not just, oh, now I know how that works, but we can then utilize that knowledge to encourage more and more of that particular phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. In the metaphysical world, they call it the law of attraction. So we'll, we'll dig into that one. That will be, (laughs) that will be good. So listeners, thanks for joining us today. I want to leave you with some words from this book, Science Being and Becoming. It says, mind... Now think of mind and consciousness as you hear this. Mind, we are told, is not the byproduct of matter, but the other way around. It is the foundation of everything that exists. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is the Main Street Mystic Series with co-host Dr. Paul Mills. And with you, dear listeners, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.